The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the kind support of Arturia, Avid, Source Elements, and RSBE Audio Solutions. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. I'm Julian Rogers, and in this week's edition, I'm joined by Asher, Don Morley, and Steve DeMott. We're going to be discussing traditional analog rules, the way, the, the way things used to be done, and does that still apply today? Is that something that matters or is relevant in 2023? Um, I'm I'm going to I'm going to hand over to a share actually because we did that last week and that seemed to work. Yeah, brilliant. Why so, not? <laughs> perfect. Please start us off. Yeah, sure. So um, I think uh, all four of us are kind of producers, mixers from a slightly different vintage. Um, so it would be interesting to sort of go around the table, hear a little bit about um, what techniques and practices we learned from, and perhaps how that sort of affects our workflow today. Um, let's go with you, Steve. Okay. Well, I started like professionally doing this at the tail end of the analog days. Okay. So my training when I was in college was all on tape and, you know, we had an SSL and an API in the two different studios and, you know, very traditional. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, as I got out of college and into the field in the nineties, digital started to take over and it was that awkward in between phase where we mm. didn't really understand best practices. And, uh, you know, then it was full digital after that by the two thousands. And that's sort of the condensed version of the experience there. All the horrors that followed there. Yes. <laughs> cool. I know that we, you, Steve, you and I, we've had this conversation before, and we we match up pretty well chronologically. But we should go yes. to Dom, really, because yeah. Dom, where do you where do you fit? Well, I I got my first um, job in a studio in I think it was '96, so late '90s. It was still um, it was still analog, so it was still tape machines and big desks. And then very very quickly, the ADAC came in as a format and it would be people were coming in with their ADAT tapes that they'd done at home so it's kind of digital on tape crept in very early on and then while I was still being employed by studios so I was still kind of an assistant I was I'd moved to um, Metropolis in London and Pro Tools started to take over as the the preferred format and I still do actually mm. remember the first session that I did it was it was downtime doing a mate's band and I remember it was the first one I did that was only in Pro Tools, so it only existed on a hard drive and not on tape, and I was properly scared oh, wow. that something <laughs> would go wrong because I hadn't trusted that fully before. Um, but then I guess um, everything, you know, very, fairly quickly over over a year or two, moved over onto Pro Tools just because of the, you know, the convenience of it all. And it was still an analog environment, and it was, you know, Metropolis is a big analog studio, so it's still analog desks analog outboard which you know i used much more than plugins because um unless it was something like a tuning software you know if it's compressors and eqs the analogs just sounded way better back then way better yeah um yeah. and then i've been in my own room now for i think a decade where i'm very much hybrid so i still like analog gear and have quite a lot of it mm -hmm. um for reasons that i imagine we'll probably get into later mm -hmm. as to why i do that um but i you know i'm i don't have a desk i i run you know, DAW, and that's what I do all my automation mixing in with analog plugged in. So I very much hybrid now. So Dom, that would have been uh, if we're talking late nineties, that would have been like um, TDM system and triple eights, would it be? Um, yeah, I guess that was the first one. Well, I actually remember using. We had a small editing suite in the studio. I worked at a studio called Dep uh, International in Birmingham, which is UB40's place, and we had a small studio with 
Um, was it called Sound Designer? Sound Designer? Yeah, yeah. it was, wasn't it? That, that was kind of the precursor, wasn't it, to Pro Tools? So we had that. Mm. So I'd used, I'd used that with some sort of interface. I don't even remember what. And then it was the TDM system with with eight 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 was yeah yeah so the so first pre Metropolis pre blue and silver HD oh god yeah yeah, yeah absolutely one or something from memory I could be wrong right yeah that makes sense I started at Metropolis in ninety nine mid ninety nine so yeah a little bit of little bit of tape and digital tape you know the Sony thirty three forty eight and we also had Mitsubishi digital tape as well which gave you thirty two tracks so so, uh, so in that case first experiences of recording to digital. So far, sound like they were sixteen bit as well, or, or probably yeah. At 20, yeah. twenty bit came in. Um, I think the Mitsubishi was sixteen. Yeah, yeah. So, which is kind of relevant. Uh, Shay, we should, we should. Um, you, I mean, yeah. the three of us are basically the same age. But come on, then you're going to go well, you know. Start yes, I I learned sort of with digital. I started in digital. Um, I really don't have any um, experience in the world of tape, obviously, because that's sort of before my time. Um, I kind of studied sound engineering fairly recently, so that was like uh, five years ago, I think. Um, and prior to that, I kind of learned on the job, as it were, sort of in the studio, kind of watching other producers, learning from that. Um, but my tutors at my uni sort of um, definitely instill kind of analog techniques into us. So I, I tend to sort of abide by the minus 18 DBFS rule as a kind of general precaution. Um yeah, things like not clipping as well, um, minus 6 dB of headroom when you're printing out a mix to send to mastering, that sort of thing. Even though, you know, you can just sort of adjust the gain technically, um, I still sort of do that as a kind of, yeah, as a precaution sort of thing. Because why not? But yeah, this, this yeah. is interesting that, that you're, um, while you didn't start off in that world, the people who introduced you to this world were of that world. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. No, I like that. I yeah. like that. I'm gonna. I mean, I'm basically line up chronologically, pretty much with uh, with um, S- Steve and Dom. I caught the the back end of tape when people were still using tape because that was the thing that people were using. Um, I pretty much missed ADAT, to be honest. Um, That's it's not no like bad it, thing. Well, it isn't, actually. <laughs> I mean, I first came to it when it was some like extremely obsolete equipment that was still hanging around in a college that I went to. Uh, but uh, my first digital recording was to like standalone HD uh, like hard disk recorders. Which oh, right. were kind yeah. of different, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, it was. Yeah. I don't particularly know why, but that's just kind of how it went. Um, and uh, but actually, I mean, it's it's time to go all, all dewy eyed about uh, cassette um, multi trackers. But oh, that's yeah. actually where I started multi track recording, and it was only when yeah, I true. kind of blagged my yeah. way into a studio, and then there was like. <laughs> yeah. a, but I mean, you must have done that as well, Dom. Surely. Um, yeah, yeah. I had a cassette four track in my bedroom as a teenager, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. upgraded to uh, uh I've been saving for a car and instead of buying a car I bought an eight track well instead. of course <laughs> yeah 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 because that was a sensible move yeah, yeah. absolutely well it turns yeah. out it was in the end you know because yeah. I still managed to borrow my mum's car enough that I could get yeah. about yeah, yeah, but yeah, I had sure, an eight sure, track sure. now yeah. and it's like you know if you buy a car you can get a job it's like well you know give it a few years and you'll see exactly yeah. Steve what about you a cassette track very similar have. yeah I, I actually I started I had hacked together um two boom boxes with a Radio Shack line mixer and my first attempts at recording were basically doing live bounces. Yeah, same wow. here. Same yeah. here. Only it was and a, a Binatone music centre from my friend's Binatone music centre from Woolworths. It was <laughs> terrible because with it, with every every uh, part you added you were adding noise because so you were bouncing noise. from yeah so then i finally yes got a, got a four track i got a, a fostex yeah. for christmas yeah. uh, one year uh just man just 
dove in. I, was, I spent all my time just figuring that thing out and trying to record and like imitate the sounds around me. Yeah. Much like Dom, I then went to a, an eight track reel to reel. I got a, mm-hmm. um, I forget which one it was, the Tascam eight track one. Uh, I don't remember. Was it a 58? That was my first one. There was a 38, which is the cheapy one, and the 58, which is a bit more grown up. I think it was the 58. Mm. It was like I three remember. Heads. Nice machine, actually. Yes. And I, I traded a boogie to a friend for that. So he got my boogie, I got his eight track. So you, you traded something even heavier than uh, than a- <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, I ended up buying another boogie at some point because, but I mean, yeah, um, yeah. So that and then um, off to school, uh, I, I studied at Berkeley, and we had you know proper Studer and one and an Otari A track in Studio B with the API and the uh, the twenty four track had the SSL, mm-hmm. and then. Um, after that, did some of that, but ADATs were really coming in at that point. And I started working at a studio. We had four ADATs with two DA7 desks, the Panasonic Ramza DA7s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, with four ADATs, but we usually only had three of them running at a time because one was always out for repair. Yeah. <laughs> this, it's interesting you say that because there was this period where, the, where digital was the just – you know, cast critical factors aside, this is the bright, clean future and everything will be perfect once we get to digital because everyone was so right. familiar with the shortcomings of analog and digital right. seemed to seem to just all of you know, noise, ah, it's fine and you know, um clean bounces and you know, um replication without degradation, all of that stuff. And little did yeah. we know that there was a load of other stuff that we didn't yet know about that came with it. Right. We're swapping one mm-hmm. set of problems for another. Right. And you know, and then when you when digital first hit, I don't know if it was everybody else's experience, but we brought our analog techniques to digital and mm. they didn't translate very well. Okay. That's I'll probably say. what we're talking about today. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, on analog, you're trying, you want to get your, your levels above the noise floor of everything, mm-hmm. but not clipping. Though sometimes yep. maybe clipping, because clipping wasn't always so terrible. I mean, yeah. if you slammed a clipping. slammed yeah. a kick drum or, or or a snare, sometimes it sounded really beefy. But you know, you, you do that with digital; <laughs> it's a much yeah. different story, right? Oh, exactly. <laughs> Ever wondered what it's like to mix an entire album for Kanye, or layering vocals for Chris Brown? Join your hosts Cash and G every fortnight as we sit down with some of your favorite artists, producers, and engineers to talk everything music. Brought to you by Avid Pro Tools. That sounds great. Yeah, I think we could probably get into sort of uh, 16, 24-bit and 32-bit floating points and how that came to be and how that sort of changes things for, you know, things like noise floor and headroom. And uh, do we still have to sort of practice those analog techniques? I I think we do in some cases, but it's a lot more kind of, we've got a lot more room for sort of manoeuvre, haven't we, in general? What do you think, uh, Dom? Um, Yeah, I think, uh, personally, I've never used 32 bit stuff i've always stuck on 24 um okay um only in that i tend to i like with i'm obviously very late to the game here with this one but i like other people to do all the changes first and then i'll just jump in when everybody <laughs> know it works it's like yeah. with the pro tools upgrades and stuff i'll i'm happy to wait a few months and everyone else can iron out the bugs but i've never had a problem with the 24 bit stuff that i'm mm. doing i've never um felt that i was suffering from that in terms of noise issues um but i think actually that the the knowing about noise is something that um 
and noise floor and, and gain staging is something people obviously still need to do when they're recording, which it hasn't gone away, that the need for that knowledge. It's just it's just more on that side that it's as critical as it ever was. Um, whereas obviously when you're mixing and everything is entirely digital, it's less of a, uh, you know, it's not an obvious problem. It's, uh, it's actually something that I find most bizarre, which all of us, I think, that have started out in analog might agree with. The, the plugins that put white noise on as an addition to make it sound, I'm putting inverted commas in the air here, analog. <laughs> And, and, Doc, and this, please, that's not white noise. That's <laughs> lovingly modelled. It's white noise, and it noise drives me the... insane. I tell you what, yeah, we're sensitive to it now. It's noise. Turn it's it off. It's just noise. I yeah. turn those off immediately. Exactly. Right? <laughs> we spent so much time and money getting rid of that stuff. Don't add it on as like an optional extra. Anyone who's stuff. ever programmed a load of MIDI mutes on, a, on an analog mixer with MIDI yeah. mutes is kind of like what? But but the thing is, it, you you make a point by saying that of like. We were talking about just kind of like, what's that? Where's that noise coming from? And I know what you mean when you've got one of those plugins on something and you mm. don't know it's there and you're tracking it down and muting stuff, trying to... Oh, what, my what, goodness, yeah. That stuff. But the thing is, this is kind of like inconsequential levels of noise in, in, analog, in analog days. You wouldn't have noticed that. That was just, you know, one MIDI verb could do that on its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how much quieter... Just everything is. Uh, we're not dealing with noise floor on top and noise floor on top and noise floor anymore. Mm. Mm. I mean, the only noise that ever used to drive me really drive me nuts was the noise of uh, um, the the chorus on a on a Juno. But that was because it was modulated, so it really yes. drew attention to it, itself. It, it had that washiness to it, yes. yeah. <laughs> but static noise, it tuned that stuff out, no problem, just, you know, with your brain. Uh, yeah. Best noise filter there is. Um, what I wanted to um, get, I mean, I don't know if we necessarily want to jump into a conversation about 32-bit float versus, you know, I mean, basically we've got plenty of dynamic range going mm, on here. Mm, mm. But And 32-bit is, a lot of people don't understand it. Which is why I don't want to get into it. Right? Yeah, we don't want to get into it. <laughs> no, no, but to Steve, it might be interesting if you could uh, briefly it, outline, I mean, if you understand 32 it. 32-bit float is basically 24-bit integer with a movable mantissa. So basically what that means is you're changing your, your clip point. Yeah. And, but by doing so, you are also changing, because it is logarithmic, you're also changing the resolution as you as you move further away from natural zero. Okay. And and that's it in a nutshell. Is it's with every like with everything in life, right? There's there's um, give and take. There's pluses and minuses. Yeah, you can't really clip it, but you're giving up some resolution. And in my opinion. You're going to clip your preamp way before you clip your exactly, converters. Mm. Exactly. So this mm. idea that kind of, you don't have to worry about that. It's like, you don't have to worry about that here, but, and into into all of that stuff. I mean, I think the first place where people people have to do, who aren't, who aren't from a, a generation of just kind of noise is a thing and it's everywhere, uh, where they really have to deal with it, is probably inadequate or inappropriate um, uh, preamp microphone matchings. And if you're absolutely ragging your mic preamp to get enough juice out of it. And mm -hmm. this is where I, th I think the only place really where I've thought, oh, that's noisy in the last, I don't know, 15 years, really. Right. Um, but we should talk about we should talk about plugins, shouldn't we, really? Just because yeah. we haven't left that stuff behind. I mean, Shay, go on, I'm over, to, over to you. Let's, but I think that might be a direction we might go in. Yeah. 
of a sort of analog emulation plugins and do they sort of compare to the real deal and have you tried are there any that you've tried and you think yeah they really compare nicely to the sort of the real thing um dom have you tried anything that you think oh yeah mm. i'd absolutely use that rather than actually the, yeah the the, i do have one good example of that which is um uh there's a psp plugin for the emt 244 reverb which is the old uh, very early digital plate idea um lovely gorgeous sounding reverb and i have one mine's actually broken at the moment the power supply's gone but anyway a few years ago i got an email from the guys at psp saying we've just done a reverb plug-in there's an emulation of this we believe you might have one which i guess they must have googled and seen it's on like my studio kind of gear list mm. um this is back when it was still working and they said do you mind comparing it against yours and just telling us what the difference is um, and I did, and I did loads of sort of, you know, trying to blind test myself and all that. And it was just, <laughs> kind of ties into the last conversation as well. It ties in, um, the difference was, mine was noisy and theirs wasn't. <laughs> but apart and there from it that, is. <laughs> they both sounded fantastic. Um, uh-huh. so, uh, so that's one where I've been able to directly compare. Um, and I've, I've worked a lot with the PSP guys since, because I do think they are, they're very good at what they do. They really are. Their stuff does sound very good. Um, but that was a good example of here's the digital emulation versus the analog. And to all intents and purposes, it was as good as, if not better than the, than the yeah. original thing. Yeah. And one obviously obvious advantage to sort of working the box is easy recall, right? I can imagine, um, Steve, exactly. you would have had uh, to sort of write down settings at the end of a session, that sort of thing. Even you, Dom, as well. And Julie, Yeah, obviously. I still do, actually. Yeah. I am that kind of set my ways on that way. I do still do write down... For you still use recall gear. sheets? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That and a Polaroid, right? We used to have the Polaroid in the studio. You'd, you'd snap a picture of the settings just to be sure in case the yeah, recall sheet sense. disappeared. <laughs> so so why do you uh, feel the need to write them down then, Dom, at the moment? Um, well, because... So the other way of doing it is is mm. taking photos. Um, and I don't know... So if I store it with... And there's also the, the, the software, isn't there? There's, um, what's it called? Session Recall, is it? There's a couple of different companies that do that. And I want to be sat in front of the gear turning the knobs. I don't want to look at my screen and then mm. lean over to the gear and go, oh, it was about here. I want to have the image in front of me next knob so I am exactly dead on as to where it should be. So I just think the recall sheet is the easiest way of doing that. Um, otherwise, you've got to get photos and print them out and then have them in front of you rather than you know, the image that you've drawn. And I guess I've been doing it for 20 years and it's just always worked for me. So yeah. I don't feel the need to try a different one. Don, mm. this is just a suggestion, but I mean, have you have yeah. you ever tried non-lethal applications snapshot? Are you aware of that one? No, what's that? Right, I mean, this is a thing. Russ was, Russ was behind this. This was an idea that okay. Russ hadn't got onto the guys at non-lethal and, and they built it. But I'm just checking because I haven't really thought about it in quite a long time. I, um, but no, it's absolutely still current. It's silicon native now. It's just a plug-in that you can uh, take a photo of your outboard and then store it in your session. Yeah, you see, the thing is that I've, I have seen things like that, and maybe it's that one that I've seen. Probably. Um, but then that's on my computer screen, which with the layout of my studio means I've got uh, to slide over the computer screen, remember where the knob is, okay, yeah, slide yeah, yeah, back yeah. over to the... And that's not Fair faster. Fair enough. And, and a piece of paper you can take with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the piece of paper's in front of me and while I'm sat in front mm. of the gear, so it's not faster to do it via a screen for me. Gotcha. Gotcha, yeah. 
Achoria has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects, called the AudioFuse Creative Suite, is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Visit Achoria.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. Um, the We recently spoke about the SSL G-Series, the uh, multiband compressor, which is pretty good. And that's something that I don't think would have been able to exist in the analog realm because of the sort of um, multiband kind of abilities. So that's one sort of additional thing that maybe... Uh, digital can do that we we couldn't possibly do in, in analog. I, I, I'm I'm not sure about that that example necessarily. It would have been it would have been probably rather unattractively expensive. Mm-hmm. But True. but I, th- I think I think it could have been done. But there are so? there are other examples of things that you could no way have done, um, which possibly. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's there's quite a few examples. I'm immediately thinking of pretty much everything that Sound Radix have ever made. But yeah, that was oh, my yeah. first thought as well. Actually, yeah, <laughs> whatever Sound Radix has done is pretty much that's but that, new. That, that's not happening. But but there's other yeah. things that I mean, more traditional stuff. I've only ever come across one um, dynamic equaliser uh, in in hardware, like non digital. Um, I don't really know why that is because I mean apparently it can be done. It just kind of I don't know. Maybe maybe I've just not seen a load that do exist. But um, isn't it supposed to be really complicated to I sort of? I think it probably is. I think this might have been a Clark Technic. Um, like old Clark Technic, old school right. Clark Technic, but I, I think they might have made one at, at one point. I'll, I'll have to do some, I'll have to do some furious googling to check that. But <laughs> that's that seems like one of those things that just didn't really kind of exist in the more traditional, you know, mm, uh, mm. processing uh, area. But I think one thing that uh, possibly people who've only ever worked in a DAW don't appreciate is one of the huge selling points of plugins when they first dropped was the fact you could have as many of them as you wanted. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Price. yeah. And just being able to go, because I mean, I, I can remember in, in the Backstreet Studio I, I worked in in the mid 90s, and it was like, okay, so what are we going to put the compressor on? Yeah, exactly. We right. one. <laughs> <laughs> and we have three reverbs for this mix three reverb settings, three reverbs. That's it. Yeah. 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 One delay. Yeah, yeah. Abs- absolutely, and it's like um, there. Are, yes, there are workarounds you could do, and you could print stuff, and da da da. But you yeah. know, mm-hmm. but, it's but real, uh, fundamentally, but it was all more one, time. It was all more effort. It was absolutely. all absolutely. Yeah, but just being able to load up as many as your computer could take was just like whoa, you know. And well, this and, is and and on top of that, even just having as many of whatever it is you own as you want, being able to own things you probably wouldn't have access to in the first place. I still feel it when it's like, I think I'm going to try a Fairchild on this. And it's exactly. like, oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll put the Fairchild on this one. On I'll the Cabasa, put, yeah, exactly. I'll put the <laughs> iron over on this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, has anybody tried the uh, the, tu- uh, the soft tube, uh, tube tech CL1B? I use that I use all the hardware the time. Quite a lot. I, oh, I yeah. s- is that yours? I've seen that in, in pictures of things. No, it, I mean, it's the, the studio, working, it's the room that I work in, yeah. We've got that. I use it all the time on mm. sort of vocals and stuff. But I haven't tried the soft tube. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that just because it's uh, the, the they've done a Mark II version, which uh, I, I, I tried a demo of, and I mean, it, it seems mm. very nice. But um, I, have a, I have a license for the old version. It's been around forever, and that's AXDSP. And because okay. of that, I think it's wonderful. And yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's great. It's absolutely great. Although, to be honest, I don't. The thing about that is, you, you unlike something like an LA two A, you you do have control over the uh, attack and release. But most of the time, I just 
you know, leave it in fixed just because mm. that's kind of, that's, that's probably what I want from that. Yeah. 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 But no, I thoroughly recommend it. It's great. Yeah. Oh. I haven't got enough good things to say about the about their FET compressor as well, which again is as old as the hills. But I just think it's, it's great, great. Yeah, device. we had the tube tech stuff at the uh, in the nineties in the first place I worked. It was the one the one piece of tube tech gear I learned to hate though was their channel strip preamp uh, EQ compressor channel strip thing. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Huh. I just I I could not find a mic I liked that thing on. Wow! Wow! Because okay. I remember we we had the, the we had the mic pre's in the studio where I was in Metropolis and I loved them they were great on everything but still maybe that's a that was just the mic pre's maybe it's a slightly different uh, maybe I just channel. found them to be overly bright okay right and I'm I'm you know in full disclosure I'm super sensitive to that right right so so that's sort of a pet peeve of mine i, I will you know be that and sort of like when, when 300 builds up and things yeah. i'm sensitive to that those yeah, are like yeah, my yeah. my two things that i'm cool. just like you'd hate my acoustic guitar if you don't like 300 hertz. um what i want to what i want to sort of pick up on there steve actually mm. is i mean you you were talking about um talking about brightness and timbre and stuff and i mean one thing that i think has changed quite a bit with the change from analog to to digital recording media is 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 microphone choice I mean, we could talk yeah. about the way ribbons have kind of come back in a big way. I mean, ribbon, yeah. ribbons were yeah. just kind of a historical mm. curiosity when I first heard about them in the in the sort of mid-90s. You know, there's something that somebody's dad had in their garage, had an old Reslo, and it's like, wow, what's this? And it just didn't put out any output, and we ignored it as a result. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah. that's changed. And really, really, I mean, I, I remember uh, absolutely loving the the... the um, Tandy PZM, you know, in my multi-tracker days. And most of the reason was because yeah. it was so bright that, you know, it, it, it all kind of worked out quite well with all that HF roll-off on the cassette tapes, you know? Mm. I mean, this is... Yeah. So, oh, no, and anything to anything to say then? Sort of in well, the way, you know... But that's exactly, you know, to your point, we were fighting a deficiency in the system. Yeah. Right? Which is why I think in early digital, everyone, you know, was still cranking the the high shelf and as they bounced for the mix and all and you're like whoa yeah, running through dolby's just... running through dolby's one way only that kind of yes thing, exactly yeah. doing oh, the yeah. dolby trick and yeah. and you'd listen to it and i think that's one of the reasons early digital got the um really uh, the, good point yeah so a load of people tried those same techniques and kind of you know it's like too harsh. It's too bright yeah, because we. Yeah, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. we we were still trying to fight a high frequency loss and, so a, we were, and a low frequency bump that wasn't there anymore. So we're there yeah. on 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 some on some bright symbol setting up four five ones, going, "Wow, that's a bit toppy." And it's like, yes, yeah, and, yes, it and, is. And suddenly the the four fifty one was a really bright mic, and you're like, "Oh, I don't know if I want to use that." And you know, and you're looking for for darker mics mm. for especially for brighter sources like cymbals or. Uh, bright guitars, uh, you know, smaller stringed instruments like mandolins and stuff. You, you're looking mm. for darker mics now. Nice. Yeah. Uh, something else sense. that we've got to talk about here, actually, if we're talking about like an analog approach to working is um, is the way that a, a lot of people, I mean, a, a load of people don't care about this, but there's a big section of people who really do and covet physical faders because we don't have them anymore. And we just took them for granted. In the old days, you know, yeah. it was kind of like, how else are you going to control the level of a track? But uh, I, I, I mean, uh, I've gone on this journey very recently, actually. This this physical fader journey, because I 
didn't have them for years. When I first moved out to where I am now, um, I had, I'd obviously worked at Metropolis on analog desks and then I shared a studio with a mate who had the Sony uh, DMXR100, is that what it's called? The, the small Sony digital desk, but that had faders. So working away with faders, um, albeit on a digital desk. Mm. Um, or it's actually, it was digital and analog, it's a bit of a, a hybrid desk. Mm -hmm. and, then, um, and then I moved out here and I thought, right, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get that. I am going to work in the box and I'm going to do all my rides with the mouse and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to draw them in. I'm going to be super accurate because I always thought there's a bit of a lag sometimes if you're working with a fader between your reaction to something and then you've got to go back and then preempt the bit that you want to turn down or up and that sort of stuff mm -hmm. and thought I'd be quicker to do that on a mouse and more accurate blah 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 so I did that for quite a long time and then about a year ago I finally caved and got uh, Avid S1 and have started using that to do rides and actually I am finding it it feels more musical somehow to be mm -hmm. doing it physically with a fader and my finger than it feels to get it really right with a mouse and clicking things and you know what I mean? Is that yeah, just a placebo absolutely. kind of thing or do you think there's a legitimate reason for that? I, this is what I've wondered. So I wonder if it's something that I feel, you know, I've, I've made the purchase and there's and therefore there's a bit of cognitive dissonance with saying that it was a mistake. <laughs> you need to justify that. Yeah. yeah. Um, or the, the other thing is it's a bit like... Um, is, is that because that's how records sound? Because that's what we're used to records sounding like, those those human sort of volume mm. curves. Mm. Um, a bit like the, the, I remember people saying in the, in the 90s and 2000s, do lexicon make the best reverb? Or is it just over every record that we've ever yeah, bought a lexicon a reverb? Point. To us, that now sounds like a record. I've said mm. the same thing about mm. SSL bus compressors. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Does that just sound like a record now because mm. it's on so many that you love? So, so maybe maybe there's a bit of that as well. But but then equally, that's still a valid reason for using it if it sounds more like a record to to do it that way. But then that will change over time as as more and more people move away from using faders. Maybe, but um, it feels better to me. It it feels like I am doing a better, more musical job. So um, I don't know how accurate that is, mm. but it. That's uh, the subjective viewpoint. Yeah. Steve, I know you're an S1 user. Shay, what about, what about you and faders? Uh, I mean, I sort of grew up with the digital thing, so I'm, I'm okay using my mouse, that sort of thing. But yeah, I think there's something nice about having that tactile kind of sensation. Um, I said before, I use the ID24 just to sort of uh, kind of modify certain parameters, which is handy. Even though it's a dial, it's still quite nice to sort of, you know, mm -hmm. just be able to touch something, I think. You just feel like you're doing something rather than sitting yeah, there. Kind you're just of going properly a, yeah. old school. No, what's this linear fader? No, no, no. I'm, yeah. I'm old UA <laughs> valve mixer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, I get what Don was saying as well about, you know, if something sounds like a record and that sort of depends as well, that changes as we kind of develop, our music develops and things are a lot brighter, a lot more tuned as well. And mm. people sort of adapt their taste to, to what they're hearing kind of, you know, in the charts as well. So we, we kind of have to adapt to that too, whether we think it's correct or not really. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Steve? What do you think about that? Uh... I, I'm a big believer in... Uh, some sort of control surface, yeah. yeah. Um, I, maybe it's because I started and my hands were always on faders, whether it was the API or the SSL or whatever. Um, I just feel more connected to what I'm doing. I, I, especially recently, I've, I'm learning that I just, 
I don't, I, I, I'm better about not overthinking things. If I'm not staring at automation curves on the screen or exactly what my, you know, ratio is on the compressor or looking at the, the readout as I move the knob, I'm, I'm better. I, I feel like it makes me think too much and overthink. And I, yeah. I, I just mm. like taking my eyes out of the equation as much as I can. That was actually a partly a motivation for me. It's a, a slow moving back to using mostly ears rather than a bit of eyes. I also bought a console one, you know, the soft tube thing. Yeah. 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 Mm. How do you for like a similar it? reason. I like it. You know what? It's, it's uh, again, it's, um, it's something I have to remember to make myself do because it's not part of the habit yet. I've had it for right. a, a couple of months and I'm using it a fair amount now. Um, but it is, I, I find I'm, I'm uh, surprisingly, I thought it'd be the opposite, but I find I'm EQing sometimes more than I thought I would. You know, where I thought I'd add two, I'd add four dB. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Absolutely. This is a big mm. advantage, I think, of, I mean, most of the most of the mixing I've done on, on consoles has been live. And live EQ, it's kind of like I've, I've never, when EQing a show, gone, oh, that's a bit much. Right. <laughs> it's right. just like, yeah. you know, get right in you know up to the elbows and <laughs> there's nothing as there's nothing as um, discouraging as a graph to make a really well you just think you've done yeah. it completely so wrong you're it what's, good. what's the matter with you you know and it's like yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and on top of that you know how many of bands are overlapping man that can't be right yeah exactly, exactly. exactly. you know you Stop, it doesn't listen. look right yeah if yeah. it sounds right it's right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. so that, I remember that, actually uh, there was a feature of Cubase back when I was a kid um I think it was like Control K, which was screen off, and it just made the screen black yeah, until yeah, it did yeah. Control K again, which I thought was great. It's such, oh, wow. such a useful yeah. thing. This like, is a yeah, thing. There's listen, a, there's a shortcut on on the Mac. Um, uh, oh, it's something or other an escape. Uh, a couple of modifiers and escape, which will black the screen out. Yeah, is oh. it like? Command option escape, maybe or something like that. Possibly, I'm not going to do it right now. But no, no, <laughs> no. I'm going to I'm going to find that. that but yeah, good. no, it's no, it's, it's it, and it's brilliant just because it's um, uh, uh, it's just one of those things of kind of um, if you if you just if you just want to kind of dissociate what you're seeing from what you're hearing, and definitely right. that's one of those things. Something I think about uh, with consoles is if you see photos, which are obviously stock photography. Of, uh, taken in a studio or something and the thing that I, I I notice this every time it's when somebody's got one hand on a fader and another one up somewhere you know on a, on a sender an EQ or something like this and I look at that and I think I don't think I do that I mean it's not saying I've never done it but that if mm. you were to take a random photo of me actually operating a mixer I wouldn't be doing that but I might well have have a handful of faders but, but how often are those <laughs> those photos just a setup? Of course, of course. Right. That's, Always, that's yeah. what I'm saying. But it's, <laughs> a it's bit... like when it's like when they're recording and there's a guy like there constantly touching every button on the console, like, what are you doing? Yeah. You should have done this before you hit record. Yeah. Why are you Leave still touching things? <laughs> no, it's, I mean, it's, it's the stock photography thing. I mean, yeah, I spend, yeah. I spend yeah. more time than I care to admit in looking at stock photography. And right. Anything taken yeah. in, in, right. a, in a, in a, uh, in a recording session, the singer's always holding the microphone. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah. right. get your hands yeah. off that yeah. microphone. Yeah. We're going to have to take the one, one again because you were holding the microphone yeah, for yeah. that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> The Production Expert Podcast is made possible using Source Connect Now from Source Elements, the free way to record high-quality audio over the internet. Need to record an interview or a podcast like this one remotely? With Source Connect Now, you can. 
using a Chrome browser, you'll get ISDN equivalent quality audio without the need to install any additional software. Register for your free account at now.source-elements.com. Yeah, I mean, back to back to the uh, the stuff that's come over from analog. Though, I mean, yeah, sure. So, um, it's affected mic choice, transducers on the way in. It's certainly affected the sound of things. Our approach, a lot of good habits, are mm. still have a lot to be said for them. Particularly now that, while there is basically unlimited headroom within a kind of you know a, a floating point environment, um, there's usually something that's going to put a restriction on that. And anything that's doing any kind of analog emulation, of course, is doing that. If you want to hit the sweet spot and get all that mm. analog saturation, but, uh, but then again, our preoccupation with saturation, which rhymed rather neatly, I think. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> do you know what I'm getting? I've kind of like we're after cleanliness. Yeah. I mean, you can say, "No, oh, why are we putting it all back?" Well, because we like it. So I don't think that's yeah. necessarily. Yeah. Uh, uh, a th- but actually bringing all of this stuff back what we're doing is we're rolling back from that position of being able to do what we like and actually giving ourselves a, a quite restricted sweet spot right so i mean what do we think uh, i'm i'm going to take a guess that we all do that but kind of have we thought about why and what are we giving up by imposing that limit on ourselves because if you'd said that to someone in 1980 <laughs> saying mm. hey you're unlimited headroom and do what you like and linear playback and they say you're doing what what do we think yeah um steve i mean any thoughts oh yeah um, well i think I'll, I'll preface it by saying i think what we learned is linear is not what we want mm. um, yeah. <laughs> but for me it comes down to like, i do a lot of acoustic music and there is a huge difference in recording a guitar to tape, an acoustic guitar to tape versus recording it to digital. And it's all in the transients. And there's something uh, just, and this is going to sound weird, but there's something more real Mm. the way tape messes up the transients. And I, and I think that's a lot of what I find. I like the tapes uh, emulators or, or saturators for is to, change the transients of the recorded uh source whatever that might be i mean i've even gone so far as to throw a um a, a um what it, what is it called the um spl uh, transient sign. shaper yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah and and reduce transients on things like guitars mandolins things mm-hmm. like that just to soften them so they don't sound so in your face and it sounds more cohesive together. But mm. I, th- I think that's what I like the saturation for is I, I think it, it's really affecting the transients in the peaks. Yeah. It's interesting you say just a sort of philosophical concept, I suppose. Uh, a lot of people use the term real to describe analog and, and that sort of thing. Um, but what you kind of mean when you say real, I suppose it's, it's something that we're used to hearing from the kind of dawn of time or something. Exactly. But, uh, but it's I mean, not actually more real necessarily. No, it's fact, actually if anything, it's faker, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it doesn't sound as real because everything's changed. But I think the limitations of tape, especially if you grew up doing tape, you know, where you had that small window of usable uh, gain stage, right? Mm. Your your mm-hmm. your your crest factor was very small. Yeah. You know, between clipping and high enough that you're still above all the noise. <laughs> um, 
it, it, it affected, I think that's why we use compressors so much. I mean, I still slam compressors like I need to hold things in, but it's the sound that I grew up with. It's a sound I love. It sounds nice, doesn't it? Just it does. Yeah. I mean, I was joking in that, in that, um, in that uh, Facebook post we have going about um, mic choices where, you know, yeah, I, I in, even in the 80s, I listened to a lot of CSN and that's the sound of an acoustic guitar to me. Stephen Stills' guitar with a 67 going into an 1176. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Slammed, just slammed. I mean, <laughs> to the point where when I used to go in the 80s, when I went to go buy acoustic guitars, I'm like, it doesn't sound right. And what my ears were not hearing was the compression. Right. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Dom? Um, yeah, I'd, I've I've got back into it more recently. Um, it's something that I, yeah, it's something I struggled with a bit. Only in in that I, I used to do a lot of a lot of university lectures, um, like guest lecturing and stuff, and and I would do a I had a, like a a fairly comprehensive lecture on mixing, which was a couple of hours, and it was you know EQ compression effects balance. Um, some philosoph- philosophical stuff about why we're doing it, what we're trying to achieve, all that sort of thing, a few examples mm-hmm. of stuff. And I would always get a question about what do you do about saturation? And then, it, and it used to wind me up because it was a bit like, that's such a detail compared to everything else that we've talked about. <laughs> like, it's such a tiny, like, don't worry about it. Like, I just, I don't use it. Don't worry about it. Um, just, just concentrate on, if you can get the EQ effects balance, you know, and, and, um, and compression right, Everything else just falls into place. It's fine. So, I guess I, uh, I. It's not that I didn't use it, but I didn't use it very much, and it became, I guess, a thing that I, I, I tried not to use too much because I thought, no, this is this is not important. This, I guess, I'd bought my own <laughs> hype on that one. I'd been asked too many times, and it had wound me up. Um, so, but I have used it a bit more recently, um, and I do, I do use it as a. Um, as as well as that, I, I get what you're saying, Steve, about the 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 analog. Um, so it's the acoustic, the acoustic sound thing, but also I do think for um, for digital things, for like soft synths and stuff like that, it can introduce a, a layer of um, kind of warmth and and I'll use the word reality just to confuse everybody. Um, a reality that, that they don't already have. I mean, if you've got an amp to run them through, or if you can put it out through like a modular synth or something like that, I think that's that's a better way of doing it because it is putting it into the real world. But if you don't, then a little subtle touch of saturation can can add a little bit of three um, Dness to a sound. So yeah, I, I use it a lot more now um, than I used to because I've got over myself. <laughs> Dom, your story about being asked uh, about saturation in, in lectures. Um, I was delivering a guest lecture, I don't know, a, a couple of years ago. And um, on the way in, I, I, I'd written down in a couple of sealed envelopes and said at the beginning, I've got, I've got some things written down on here and the first person to ask me about them gets a prize. And they just left them at the front of the table. And uh, in those in those envelopes, one of them said sidechain compression. Oh, that's the other one. And God. the other one said mastering. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was quite a good joke. Um, anyway, um, uh, actually, we're we're running pretty long, so I think uh, we need to go to find of the week. Find of the week. Yeah. Oh yeah. RSPE Audio Solutions design, sell, and install professional audio and video equipment. Their team are available by phone, live chat, or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio to ensure you can continue to work from home. If there is anything they can do to help, 
Reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Julian, what is your find of the week? Would you like to go first? I've gone completely off-piste on this one because I was looking around just a minute ago because I hadn't prepared one in a bit of a panic going, oh, what have I done this oh, week? Oh, yeah, same. But same. actually, <laughs> it's a podcast. It's, it's called The Rest is Politics. And it's hosted by Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart, who are both uh, kind of like previously quite active in, in UK politics. The thing that I like about it is that apart from you've got two people who know a great deal about the world, and not just about the UK or about UK politics, but the world, um, the other thing that's quite nice is that they're from opposing sides of the political spectrum. Ooh, and handy. it's a perfect example of how people can who don't agree can have really constructive, high-quality mm. conversations. And mm. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a bit ground down by just the polarised conversation that's Echo existing. chambers. Everywhere, yeah. Uh, yeah. but particularly online. And mm. it's just a great example to all of us of like, hey, you might disagree, but I bet there's a load that you do agree on. And even if you mm. do disagree, you can do it well. So mm. that's what mine mm. is. Check it out. It is fascinating. Yeah, mm. nice. very important. Very, uh, how about you, Steve? What's your find of the week? So I um this week I upgraded the subwoofer in my in my home mix room. Mm. And I I added the uh now I I'm hot and cold on subwoofers because I think most people crank them to the point where it's like the house shaker and that that's <laughs> yeah. not what I want it for. That's I, not yeah. the fault of the subwoofer though, is it? No, no it's not. It's user <laughs> error, right? But so I I have three-way mains. I have the Dynaudio three-ways. And I added the, the Dynaudio 9S and I spent the last couple of days just tuning it so the, you can't even tell where it passes off from the mains to the sub. So it's mm -hmm. nice and smooth. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really happy with it. It's solid. It goes down to 22, which is lower than I need it to. Mm -hmm. um, I just need to hear the low C on an extended uh, upright, which is like, what, 36, 33, something like that. And um, it just, it opened up my mains because they're not trying to do that low end anymore, even yeah. though they are yeah. they are three-way speakers. It's just nice to not have to do that super low stuff. And yeah. uh, just loving um, the, just being able to really know what's going on, like on the low kick and uh, mm. low notes on the bass and all. It's and a I'm tiny little thing, isn't it? It is, but it's huh. really focused i've just no. sent i've just sent back uh, a pair of um a pair of genelit monitors with one of their 70 something or other subs and it's the first sub i've had in the studio for ages and i i really liked having it here the subs when they're properly set up and you can't crank a genelit sub if you're running it through glm um uh yeah they just solve so many low-end issues they do yeah. yeah so that's my find of the week i'm, I'm really happy with it uh i've only had it yeah, less than a week now but uh, i feel like i have it dialed in and it's it's really making me smile when I mix nice. and listen to music. Did you stick it on a chair and crawl around, crawl around the walls of your studio trying to find where you should put your subwoofer? I well, I have it on a, um, uh, I think it's called a Mopad, which them. is the Aurelex oh, yeah. thing, a small one of those that lifts it off the floor, and I've just been sliding it around. I, it's it's actually lined up with my center speaker oh, yeah. right now, okay. so that um, it's time aligned, and mm -hmm. then I just kind of, I did the old trick where you flip it in. Uh, phase uh polarity reverse and then you start moving the i'm not using the crossover on the on the um speaker itself i'm i have the crossover in my monitor controller mm. and i just moved the crossover until i heard the sort of that hollow overlap where it's canceling itself and that's where the crossover is and then put it back in polarity normal and 
it's just really cool mm-hmm. dialed in and uh hearing the low end and, and i went and listened to some of my favorite music with it and i'm like yeah all right that's that's nice always a good excuse nice. to just do that for a long time as well isn't it <laughs> Yeah. And it was, my wife came down, she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, tuning my subwoofer. <laughs> it, funny? it looks to me like you're sitting down having a lovely time. Yeah, yeah just sitting yeah. there listening to music, and, yeah. you know. But it, it's nice, because I'm also writing a bunch of um, film music right now, so I have a lot of low strings in oh, it. Yeah. It's really right. nice to be able to hear that and uh, know that I'm not messing that up, especially as it's going to go to like a 5-1 mix. Nice. Dom, do you work with a, a subwoofer? Uh, yeah, I've got one. I have one on my NS10s. Um, okay. And I've got one of the Trinov things, you know, the Trinov oh, yeah. system, mm. which kind of makes it, yeah, it means it's sort of, I didn't have to tune it by ear so much as this, just the Trinov works it all out and then it just sounds great. So, um, yeah, it means I didn't have the excuse to sit around and listen to music for days oh, going on tuning my sub, but, um, but it does sound amazing. <laughs> it is very good. I've just seen what your find of the week is, Dom, and yes, it seems to fly it? in the face of some stuff you were saying earlier. So go on, tell yeah, us about it's that. It's good though. <laughs> well, what, right, so <laughs> it's the PSP bin amp, and um, you know, I mentioned them earlier on. I do like what PSP do after first discovering them, making my, you know, making my reverb without noise. Um, and they they normally send me well, not no, they sometimes send me the new stuff if they think it's going to be like relevant and try and get some opinions on it. Um, but this is just it's a bit of you know saturation distortion drive stuff um, that's off an old um, they model it off the Ecorec two the Binson Ecorec, um, <laughs> and it's just that bit of it and uh, and it just for me it just sounds really it sounds really like an analogy sounding kind of distortion drive thing um so it's it's one of those simple ones it's got a few different controls which you can get into or not what quite like they've got a variation control which if you turn that up it just means if you do different instances of it in your d in your session they'll be subtly different so that's quite nice to do that um and and it just I've put it on a few things and they've just sounded a little bit nicer in a in a sort of crunchy, grungy way. So, Which is, um, after all, the point, I suppose. That's so, what yeah. it's for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you do need crunchy, grungy and you've got clean yeah, and sparkly, yeah. um, I enjoy it. Threw it's nice. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Show, what about you? What's your find of the yeah, week? My find of the week is uh, Techovation MDSA, which is a spectral shaping DSA plugin. Um, and it's just a nice kind of transparent DSA. Um, and it's actually on offer at the moment. So yeah, if you're looking for sort of a, just a nice DSA that's got sort of, you know, various controls, it's got sort of sensitivity knob, but it's also got um, like different operation modes as well, which is handy. So fast, medium, slow, um, also a frequency range slider. So yeah, if you like to sort of get a bit more granular with the DSing, but also something that sounds, you know, quite uh, natural sounding, then yeah, I think it's worth a try. Mm. Um, I'm, I, I'm always looking for good DSs for my vocal yeah. production. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. Great stuff. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for this week. So, thanks to my guests, Dom, Steve, and Asher. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Production Expert Podcast.